Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed everywhere you can find a podcast. You can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreview.com, which is where you can find full links to the show notes and guests. If you want to support the show, which would be amazing, you can do that directly from the website. There is a PayPal link as well as an Amazon wish list, which if you want to help out the studio, that would be fantastic. Follow the podcast on social media at About Review on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also youtube.com slash abouttreview. On this week's solo episode, yes, folks, once again, I'm alone in the studio because scheduling is crazy. Uh, I will be reviewing Gemini Man, The Addams Family, Zombieland, Double Tap, and Dolomite is my name. So definitely a bunch of random films that are not really connected, but that is what is in the theaters right now. So for this episode, that is what I will be talking about. I get always... I always get weird because I want to introduce a guest right there, but there is nobody else in the studio. So we will just go right into the show. Before we do that, we'll go to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, here we go, right into the solo reviews. First up is Gemini Man. Now, this is the Ang Lee-directed, Will Smith-starring action-adventure film that one of the big things kind of right off the bat that was being talked about with this film months ago, when it was kind of first getting some press, was that they were shooting at 120 frames per second. Now... For the most part, you shoot at 24. So this was basically a way for Ang Lee to ramp up the action of this action and adventure to give us a different perspective. Now, he is not the first person to do things like this. There have been films before that use a higher frame rate. You basically, when you are a filmmaker, you use a higher frame rate if you want to make action smoother. What is interesting in this film, so we get Will Smith, who is this, you know, assassin, world-class assassin and sniper who is retiring, of course, because you have to have that in a film like this. But as the government is wont to do and as handlers are wont to do, they, of course, are not just going to let him retire and live out the rest of his days. So what do they do? They send the Gemini Project after him. So, yeah, we get this action movie where there are a few moments where that enhanced frame rate really looked great. There's a fight scene in some catacombs, which you see in one of the trailers. That looks fantastic, especially when you think about this is old Will Smith versus 
young Will Smith, hence Gemini. So with this not only high frame rate, but CGI mapping over a face, you are trying to do not just one, but two very technical things in one film. And sometimes when you do that, you have to sacrifice something. To me, what they sacrificed in this film was a script. Because my goodness, this film is basically like any other clone action sci-fi movie we have seen. In the 90s, there were a bunch of these. Whether it was like Universal Universal Soldier or The Island or like the Resident Evil movies. We have seen the clone versus original, I guess if you want to put it that way, a million times. And that just gets really old. Like this film... I feel like they started this script in like 92 and now for whatever reason, Ang Lee was like, all right, sweet. I finally have enough money and influence to make it. But why? Like it, this really, I, I struggled with this film because I do love a dumb action movie. I'm a big fan of that genre. You get a dumb action movie with Will Smith that gives you a twofer of films that I want to see. And so in this one, it was just kind of weird that it was almost just uninteresting for large portions of it because we have seen this before. We get Clive Owen as Will Smith's Will Smith's former uh, friend and ally. He is the antagonist and kind of runs the Gemini project as we know it. Benedict Wong is in this as his other like best friend that he used to serve with. And then Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who is the unwitting participant who gets swept up in this drama, she also has some great action scenes. I liked those as well. So we get this basically action-adventure caper while old Will Smith is essentially running away from his doppelganger, his clone. But again, we just are not quite sure why. So it is It is a bizarre movie. The action, which is what people are going to go see this movie for, is pretty good. Is really good, I would say, in some parts. The difficult thing with shooting at such a high frame rate and having CGI mapping to the level that this does, when you see young Will Smith in the daylight, and this is a young Will Smith around the same age that most of us, got used to seeing Will Smith when we were younger. It still does not quite work when it is fully lit. During the movie, you can kind of get past it because it is these big action set pieces, and again, that catacomb fight scene in the dark and in the shadows works great. There is a scene at the end of this movie, a very Cosby Show, different world style ending, where the CGI mapping is horrendous. Like, it is it is strikingly bad. And so I'm not quite sure if maybe that was the first thing they filmed, or if that was towards the end when they were running out of money. I do not know, but it really just did not work when it was fully lit. When the camera has to be right on young Will Smith, or Junior, as he is called in this film, it just, it, you see the flaws a lot. So that that was kind of a struggle. The other thing that made this very, very 90s, every henchman 
in this movie is just a henchman from a 90s with the dialogue to match. At one point, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, Danny, they are trying to make an escape. And so she goes to the boathouse to get the keys to the boat. A random, you know, thug kicks open the door without skipping a beat, says, fancy a night on the lake. And it was just like, how long has that dude been waiting to say that line? Like, does he just go on this mission? <laughs> it's like, all right, we got to get this guy. He's a badass assassin. All right, we need to capture this lady because she is involved. And we're not really sure how at this point, but pretty sure it will get worked out. I got it. All right, it is nighttime. She's going to get the keys to a boat. And he's writing stuff in his journal just so he can kick open this door and say this line. That was just so dumb and predictable. And that happens more than once where there are these set pieces when you can just basically write out the dialogue for yourself, Mad Lib style. I would love to do that, actually. That is a good idea. To have people sit down, watch scenes from a movie with kind of Mad Lib style blanks in the dialogue and have them fill it out and see which one gets closer. I'm going to write that down. That is a good idea, John. Thanks, John. This is what happens when I record in the studio. I go crazy. Anyway. Okay. So, yeah, we get this action-adventure, globe-trotting, <sighs> military-esque movie. Clive Owen is being Clive Owen. I, he, nobody really stretches in this movie. Nobody really pushes themselves. In this movie, granted, for the topic, you do not, it does not really require that. It does not really require to go deep inside yourself and, and get to a, a different place. But nobody is really challenged. Benedict Wong is, Benedict Wong is great in this. Super funny. I love seeing him in everything. But yikes. This is just, uh, it is rough. The other thing that reminded me very much of the 90s slash early 2000s action movies, the product placement. In one of the climactic scenes in this film, it is in a little bodega, a little grocery store. Man, the camera focuses on every product in this store. And especially at 120 frames per second, not only do we get fast-paced action and like sweeping camera shots of products, then it goes into slow-mo, where you see the two characters in the scene blanketed almost on every side by name-brand products. Come on, like that is just lazy. So that that was weird. Uh, but yeah, the rating system <laughs> for this for this podcast. If this is your first time listening, there are only three choices. So no letter grades, no stars. The three choices are good, bad, or ugly. A good film was something you came out of the theater and wanted to recommend to a friend. Bad film was something you came out of the theater and kind of already started to forget. Ugly is a void at all costs. Gemini Man, directed by Ang Lee, starring Will Smith, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Clive Owen, Benedict Wong, and a bunch of random goons who have terrible dialogue. Uh, I give this a bad like, there is no reason to go out and spend money on this. When it hits streaming in a couple of months, or if you want to pick it up on Redbox or something, sure. But it is not ugly for the sheer fact that in some of the action set pieces, everything works. And it looks really great. We see young Will Smith Jr. use, like, a motocross bike as a weapon, but not just as, like, oh, let me pick this up and throw it, or let me do something like that, like... He does sweep kicks with this thing. He does uppercuts with the bike. That looks really cool. The chase scene leading up to that does not really make sense for a couple different reasons. 
but that is different. So, yeah, Gemini Man gets a bad, uh, which is unfortunate, but at the same time, there you're not going to be missing anything if you do not see this in the theater. Moving along to The Addams Family. Now, this is directed by Greg Tiernan and Conrad Vernon, and these two have worked on animated films for a long time. American Tale, Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven. What do those three movies have in common? They are all horribly depressing. People forget that in like the late 80s, I don't know how to say it, late 70s to maybe early 90s, these animated movies were not messing around. Like they were brutal. All Dogs Go to Heaven, that, that should be the new like, uh, what is it called in Blade Runner? The, the turning test? No, I can't, oh, I can't remember. People are yelling at me because they know the name of it. Put somebody in front of Land Before Time or All Dogs Go to Heaven. If they're not bawling their eyes out at least like four times, yeah, they're no longer human. So, yeah, they're a replicant. They're something else. So the directing duo of the new Adams Family definitely has their chops. They have put in the work for the past couple decades. This is definitely a departure from kind of that 90s animation style. This is more, obviously, CGI. What I love about the animation style of the new Adams Family, it absolutely works for the type of film it is set, for the, for the type of world that it is set in. Because it is CGI, they can really just push those boundaries of uh, pain, I guess you could say. Uncle Fester continually gets wounded in this movie with arrows, with spears, with various things, but you never really see him hurt. The outlandishness of some of the adventures that they get into, it really plays well with this animation style. So the big thing, obviously, that people were talking about with this film is the voice cast. So you have Oscar Isaac as Gomez Adams, Charlize Theron as Morticia, Morticia Adams, Chloe Grace, Chloe Grace Moretz. I cannot talk today. Man, Chloe Grace Moretz as Wednesday, Finn Wolfhard as Pugsley, and then Nick Kroll as Uncle Fester. Along with a slew of other people, Bette Midler as the grandma, uh, Allison Janney is in there, Martin Short, Catherine O'Hara, tons of people. Elsie Fisher's in this as Parker. So a really, really stacked voice cast. What this voice cast made me realize, the more the movie went on, is I really wish I could see this voice cast in a live-action adaptation, which we have had before. We had two of them, Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. This voice cast crushes it. They are so good together and the characters have a different feeling than what we have seen before, but it works. One of the things that I thought really worked for me with this, Wednesday Adams, who we again have seen multiple portrayals of, the teenage rebellion that you get in a lot of these movies where they want to go against the family and they want to do different things and that usually turns them into like a goth phase or a punk phase. I loved that in this film, Wednesday's Teenage Rebellion, she starts getting a little bit more preppy to fit in with the people down in the village, down below the giant mansion on the top of the hill covered in fog all the time. So when she comes home and she has like a pink barrette in her hair, Morticia 
freaks out. As if, you know, the daughter would come back and she had black eyeliner on and a choker necklace and all of these things. That type of, like, flipping the script of Teenage Rebellion, I totally got a kick out of. Like, that was just really fun and it was an easy thing to write in. But it just, it really worked. The other thing, people always want to talk about Joker and Harley Quinn as fictional couple goals. Yeah, that relationship is garbage. One of those people in that relationship is a monster. That would be Joker. If you really want to look to a fictitious couple for couple goals, get you a Gomez Adams. Get you a Morticia Adams. These two, and this is another iteration that we have seen, this is love in its purest form. They accept everything about the person, all of their quirks, all of their idiosyncratic behavior. It is incredible and you can you can feel the love from these two characters so these these two gomez and morticia are couple goals so if you're looking for a fictitious couple go towards that nick kroll as uncle fester was amazing again we had christopher lloyd in the last you know adaptation of this live action adaptation he was fantastic nick kroll what i what i really appreciated with his performance he gave it a different voice. He really kind of leaned into this voice, which was different. And I actually, there was only a couple times when I was like, okay, there is Nick Kroll. You know, there's the person behind the voice. But that was incredible. But my new favorite character because of this film and this adaptation was Lurch. Lurch in this movie was so amazing. So Lurch, for those of you who, you know, uh, kind of forgot, I guess, he is basically the big Frankenstein character that hangs around the house. In this one, he is a musician. He is a, I would not say researcher, uh, but he is always trying to be more literate and more studied and more read, but he still cannot really vocalize that much except for one amazing song that happens in the movie, which I will not spoil. But that was just great. The music in this, kind of touching on that, was great. I loved that the music had a very Eastern European influence. Because when you look at the Adams family, you know, it touches on those Eastern European beliefs and it kind of pulls from some of that. And, you know, you get the stereotypes and you get the judgments, you know, of people, you know, wondering if they are, you know, gypsies and wonder why they're so unique and different, the music in this really leaned into that Eastern European influence and traditional instrumentation. That was great. I really, really liked that. Along with, of course, the the regular songs in this are solid. The update on the classic Adams Family song with the snap is done in a really cool way. I think this movie had like two, maybe three original songs, which is pretty crazy for an animated film, an animated film based off of a property. If you were doing something like uh, Frozen 2, of course, you're going to have original songs, but to take an established property and get artists, various artists to do three original songs is pretty incredible. So uh, yeah, and this is of course all based off of the 1938 comic strip of the Addams Family, which I had to do a little bit of research on because I did not know that it started in 19. 19- 38. That was the same year that Superman came out. People, just to give you an idea of how much 
we have been seeing these characters in popular culture. So that by itself is incredible. So for the Adams family, again, with a stellar cast, stellar voice cast, really worked well together. The directors did a great job. I love the animation style. Uh, this gets a good for me. I really enjoyed this. And this is something where I do want to see this getting more attention once we get closer to award season, even though it feels like we are right in the middle of award season already sometimes. So I think for best animated, this might have a push. Like they they might try and push this for best animated. And I really enjoyed it. So the Adam family gets a solid good from me. Moving to uh, definitely a not children's movie. That would be Zombieland, Double Tap, directed by Ruben Fleischer and starring the same cast of characters that we saw from the original Zombieland, which was 10 years ago. So Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone, Abigail Breslin, and then we get introduced to Zoe Dutch, Rosario Dawson, Luke Wilson, Thomas Middleditch, and a few other people. So this film, basically in real time, shows us what happened, what has happened in the past 10 years in quote-unquote Zombieland. In this post-apocalyptic America where Zombieland, or where zombies have been running rampant, we pick up the story 10 years later, you know, with these same characters. This was a movie that I I was looking forward to only because I was like, all right, I liked the first one. It's 10 years ago. Getting a sequel 10 years after sometimes is pretty risky, but hey, I I like zombie films. I will give it a shot. Then as I was watching this, it really did not take very long for me to realize zombie movies that I used to love so much. I love the genre. I have seen dozens and dozens of zombie films kind of got ruined by Anna and the Apocalypse from last year. I say ruined because Anna and the Apocalypse did something different did something unique in the zombie genre. I've been talking about that movie since last year. It made my top 10 films of last year. It was a high school musical Christmas zombie movie. And all of those elements were basically given equal playtime. So having a movie like Anne and the Apocalypse do something different with the zombie genre to then kind of go backwards with Zombieland Double Tap I was like 30 minutes into this movie and I was like, this is pretty much like every other zombie movie. They tried to do a couple unique things by introducing different types of zombies and kind of giving us updates on those. There were the the homers who are the really dumb ones who could barely walk and were not really a big threat. Do not waste your bullets on those. Just walk away. There were the ninjas, which were really sneaky and fast. And then there were the T-800s or T-1000s which were really hard to kill. That is the new breed of zombie. So, oh, and then they introduce a fourth one also, but they introduce these different types of zombies and do nothing with them, essentially. Like we do not get scenarios where they really have to outsmart a certain one or do a different thing for, we just get a zombie movie. Like why introduce these different classes of zombies when in reality, none of it really matters. The characters that we got to know in the first one are still there, are still pretty much the same characters. Jesse Eisenberg, man, is he Eisenberging his way through this film. 
just his patent blend of awkwardness and stuttery delivery is front and center. Woody Harrelson does the same Woody Harrelson. Like everybody, Emma Stone and Abigail Breslin. Abigail Breslin, I would say, is the biggest difference because this is 10 years. So she was a, you know, young woman in the first one, and now she is an adult. So, of course, everybody is a bit more protective of her, and in the zombie land atmosphere, they're like, what is it like for a teenage girl to then want to be an adult in this world? Like, what what level of protection do we need? So her character is the one that has the biggest jump, kind of in maturity and in just character development. Everybody else is pretty much the same. We get a weird, like, Shaun of the Dead-style doppelganger moment in this film with Luke Wilson and Thomas Middleditch. And it is pointless. Like, we again, a lot of this film was just doing things it felt like for no reason whatsoever. The PR rep who was standing outside of the theater, you know, who was always waiting for a quote after the movie, my quote to them after this movie was, the sequel that nobody asked for and nobody needed. Because this does nothing. Like, this is just flat. And yes, there are some cool zombie kills. Yes, there are some cool zombie chase scenes. But overall, it just, it is a continuation of a movie that did not need a sequel, did not need following up on the story and the continual references to things in 2009 were just rough. Like, they were just so heavy-handed. The script was just, it was bad. At one point, they're in a car. Uh, a few of them are in a car driving somewhere, and uh, the newer character, uh, who was, what was her name? Oh, yeah, Zoe Dutch as Madison. She was kind of a highlight of this film because she was different, and Rosara Dawson was different and a little bit interesting as well. But at one point they're driving and she was like, you know, I had this idea where, you know, you could just call people on your phone and they would come and pick you up. And people would just kind of laugh at it and they're like, whoa, so wait, you just want to get in the car with some stranger, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I get it. They're making fun of Uber and Lyft, but it was just that among with along with so many of the other jokes just fell flat. Like it was just awkward. Uh, you could tell they were trying, but there was just not much to this paper-thin script. So, yeah. Um, my rating for this one... I mean, this this is tough. If you really are invested in Zombieland, sure, go see this. If not, this is kind of an ugly for the fact that this brings nothing new to the zombie genre. This brings nothing different the world of Zombieland, except for Madison, Zoe Dutch's character, and Rosario Dawson's character of Madison, or as Nevada. So we get two new characters that are tolerable, but still a movie that is just there. So yeah, this this gets an ugly from me because I just I did not need this. And after this, I am good with zombie movies for a while unless they do something different. I'm not saying. Every zombie movie needs to be a musical, but that would be amazing. I am saying, though, if you're going to go back to this genre, do something different. Do something unique. Take a risk. And this movie did not at all. 
So that was Zombieland. Double tap. Moving along to the last film review of this episode, and that is Dolomite Is My Name. Now, this one is a little bit tricky when it comes to release schedules. They are doing a limited theater run in the next couple weeks, and then it is going to be dropping on Netflix. Basically, Netflix produced this movie, and they are doing that theater run so they can qualify for Oscars and other awards, and then they can just drop it on Netflix for anybody to see. So Dolomite is directed by Craig Brewer and written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. So the three of them definitely have a lot of experience, but the three of them are also a bit controversial of a bit controversial of a choice for this particular film. I say that because Dolomite Dolomite is my name tells the story of larger than life individual named Rudy Ray Moore who is a comedian. He was basically the what a lot of people credit as the godfather of rap. And when I say some people consider him that, I'm talking about legends in the game like Snoop Dogg, like Dre, a lot of these people go back to Rudy Ray Moore and his albums, his old comedy albums, and the way that he would flow and the way that he would tell his stories. And that was kind of where they pulled from. The Wu-Tang Clan has a song about him also. Like, there is a lot of connective tissue between Rudy Ray Moore, the hip-hop community, the comedians of the time, and just pushing boundaries. So with Craig Brewer, Scott Alexander, and Larry Karaszewski, these are three white guys telling the story of a pivotal figure, pivotal black male figure in film history. And that is kind of odd. And here's the thing. Hire the best people for the job. Always. That, that should be paramount. If somebody writes a fantastic script, great. Go for it. At the same time, these days in particular, the optics of seeing a black-led cast about a fiction, or not a fictional, well, Dolomite is fictional, but Rudy Ray Moore, a real person who really did a lot of these things and was pivotal in pushing genres forward, and you have behind the camera and producing it, three white guys. It is, it is a little bit interesting. At the same time, Eddie Murphy went to the writers, or went to the, like, the director and the writer, like 16 years ago with this story and wanted their help. So that, I mean, forget what my, my opinions are. If your star, Eddie Murphy, is going to you guys being like, hey, I want you to write this, then th- there you go. Then just kind of, that is all it is. <laughs> it just from an optic standpoint, that is something that is hard to not see these days. But regardless of the controversy, talking about the movie in and of itself. So Eddie Murphy plays the quintessential Rudy Ray Moore in this film. And you have Keegan-Michael Key in this as well. Like this cast is super stacked. One of the people that actually really shined in this movie was Divine Joy Randolph, who plays Lady Reed. Lady Reed, for those of you who do not know your black exploitation history, so this character that she played in Dolomite, like she was really fundamental in the success of those films and other films that Rudy Ray Moore did. Her portrayal of Lady Reed in this film is beautiful. 
you really get the feeling of her humor, her satire, but also the pain that she was going through, the pain that she needed to go through to get these things made, to be part of that creative process as a larger black woman in the 70s. You have these two portrayals with Eddie Murphy as Rudy Ray Moore, Divine Joy Randolph as Lady Reed, and both of them do not really fit the stereotypical movie star trope even back then when black exploitation films were all the rage, Black Caesar, and all these films, Rudre Moore, a bit pudgier, not quite what people think about when they think of an action star, Lady Reed, you know, a larger woman, that again was not really quite the same. You have people like Pam Greer. And so you have both of them struggling with that while they are producing their own art. And you have to go through those moments with them of doubt, of insecurity, and it works. It really sells. You have Wesley Snipes in here, uh, who is the director uh, of the film that they're making, because Dolomite Is My Name is basically the story of Rudy Ray Moore making Dolomite and a couple of his other movies that they throw in there that most people are not going to know that those scenes are not in the original Dolomite. They were either in Human Tornado or a couple of his other films. Overall, though, I mean, because you, it just, trying to think of ways to (laughs) describe this cast without it just being superfluous, but this is, when people talk about an ensemble cast that works well, and that you can tell everybody there was there for the same reason, to truly tell this story that has not been done before. Most people, yeah, they might know the name Dolomite, it might just, you know, they might know the name of that film, but to tell the story of Rudy Ray Moore has not been done before. So to give him the respect that he deserves with this film, you can tell with Craig Robinson and everybody involved, Mike Epps, Titus Burgess, like they wanted to be there. They wanted to be involved and tell the story of this legend of Rudy Ray Moore, who unfortunately just passed away a few years ago. Um, I think it was like 2008 or so. But he changed the black exploitation genre. A lot of films in the black exploitation genre, after you know, so often of being cast as pimps and hustlers and other films, the black exploitation took that and ran with it. And they were like, okay, we are now telling our own stories. We are casting people we want to cast. If I'm going to be a pimp, I'm going to be the greatest pimp. If I'm going to be a hustler, I'm going to be the greatest hustler. If I'm going to know Kung Fu, which, spoiler alert, most of them do not, except for Jim Kelly, uh, then I'm going to be the greatest at Kung Fu, and I'm going to have a group of women who also know Kung Fu who do my bidding. Like, they, the filmmakers of that point, when you have, like, the Mario Van Peebles and everybody just being like, okay, like, it is not making fun of the culture anymore. It is people from that culture being like, all right, we own this story now. This is going to be ours. This is going to be something that we control our portrayals. That was phenomenal. So when you get the behind the scenes, essentially, story of how this film, Dolomite, the original Dolomite, came about and the work that Rudy Ray Moore put into this film, his blood, sweat, tears, his money, pulling money from different places just to get this story told is is phenomenal. Like, the story itself is phenomenal. Eddie Murphy's portrayal as Rudy Ray Moore is 
fantastic. Like, this is something, again, he has been passionate about making this film for over a decade. When they first started talking about this film, when Eddie Murphy went to the director and the writer, the inevitable or inevitable uh, director and writers, Rudy Ray Moore was still alive. So, like, he was part of this process being like, okay, you know, he was an active part in it. And then, unfortunately, just as stuff happens in Hollywood, it did not quite happen in the timeline that they wanted it. But... The fact that we have it now and the fact that everybody involved was so good and Eddie Murphy, yes, it has been thrown around already when this was making the festival circuits that Eddie Murphy is back. I mean, cliches are there for a reason because Eddie Murphy is back. This is the Eddie Murphy that we have not seen in a long time. He did about 15 years of family-friendly comedy and all of these things. To have him back in a rated R comedy that he truly cares about, that he wanted to tell this story, is pretty incredible. So this film, I mean, if you know the original Dolomite or Rudy Ray Moore's films, you can definitely, you will be able to pick apart some of like the fact from fiction of some of this. You will be able to pick apart some of this different scenes that were not actually part of the movie that they show. You could do that. What I recommend is first, absolutely watch the original Dolomite before you watch Dolomite Is My Name, just to give you some context, because as, especially as we talk about it with diversity and representation, context matters. Watching the original Dolomite, then watching this movie will give you such a better understanding of how much work went into this movie that, yes, is schlocky, yes, is super weird, yes, it does not make much sense, and no, nobody knows Kung Fu. Um, it's like, But watching Dolomite is my name and giving you that backstory is just a great tandem addition to the world of, of Dolomite. So I could talk more about this film, but yeah, it comes out in a couple days, again, in theaters, and then we'll be hitting Netflix. This is an absolute good from me. Really enjoyed this film. This was a film, the original film Dolomite was something that we studied in college in my African-American film class. So to be able to watch this story, again, yes, fictionalized about the making of the film, it was just special. It was really interesting. So yeah, that about wraps it up for, for this episode, this solo episode. Just to give you a reminder of the films that I talked about, Gemini Man got a bad because it is just a 90s movie that somehow escaped the 90s. Adam's Family gave a good, really cute, love the animation style, love the voice acting and the music, and this is just a great addition to the Adam's Family lore. Zombieland Double Tap gets an ugly because it was pointless. It was a sequel that nobody asked for and nobody needed. And then ending with Dolomite Is My Name uh, gets an absolute good, really, really big fan of Dolomite, and I will not be surprised if this gets a nod for Best Ensemble Cast, and if Eddie Murphy gets a push for Best Actor. Like, this was this is pretty incredible. So, yeah, that wraps it up for this episode. Next week's episode is going to have reviews for, uh, I think, The Lighthouse, Black and Blue, and then possibly Current War. Based on the screening time of that, I need to do some double-checking. And if all goes according to plan, my guest for that episode will be Adam Gerke, who runs a Cinema Squabble podcast. He has decades in the radio and TV world. 
Really, really good guy and, and a good friend. His schedule is always pretty crazy, so I'm hoping that works out for next week's episode. But for this episode and for the podcast, make sure to follow it on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also youtube.com slash About to Review. If you want to support the show, click on the support tab on the website. There's a direct PayPal link and an Amazon wish list, which would be fantastic if you want to help out the studio that way. So for this episode, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I've been your host, that guy named John, and we'll see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby.